Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. I have to tell you, I love this service. I think it's so important as we as a nation celebrate the 4th of July to remember why remember our roots. It's so important that we recognize and remember the heroes all around us that served and are serving in the military, those teachers and first responders and those that serve in such a beautiful way. I also think we live in a day that people can become cynical. We can look look at the world and we seem to have great problems and great divisions. And I think in these times, we need to remember our history to remember the the story of America, remember our roots. This nation was born at a time just like that. And I think it's so important that we remember what this day is all about, to go back and remember our history and celebrate and live out our history again. Uh, Pastor Todd teases me because in 30 years of kind of preaching this service, I tend most of those years to use a quote that really spoke to me by G.K. Chesterton. He was the British writer, theologian who said something interesting about America. He said, America is the only nation founded on a creed. A creed is a statement of what we believe. And the creed of America that went round the world and inspired others and was huge in the annals of world history with the writings of Thomas Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence. Those beautiful words of the American creed. Remember what Jefferson said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and we would add women are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is the creed of America, but we have to be honest, when these words were written 246 years ago, they were not realized by all people. Certainly, they were not realized by those who were slaves and and, and by women and by Native Americans. And the history of America has been the story, to the story of bringing those rights to be for all people to make this be a more perfect union. And always underneath America is our creed, our dream of these inalienable rights for all people, not just here, but around the world. And that's our business to to know the creed and to live the creed and to share the creed, to pass the torch on to future generations to leave a a better world to our children and our grandchildren than we found. And underlying it is this basic belief and and dream of freedom for all people. And I think we need to remember our history though, because sometimes when we wanna get cynical and jaded today, as can happen, we get too close to our problems. And when we get too close to our problems, they seem big and we seem divided and we face circumstances that just seem impossible. We wonder how in the world can we move through this? The answer is to back up. Because in the moment it has always looked that way, it looked that way to Washington and Jefferson and Hamilton and, and Madison and Monroe in those days. We need to back up and we need to look at the bigger picture. We need to look at decades and and centuries and understand that the movement of freedom is always an arc moving upward. And when when we back up, we see that and we realize that. In fact, it's interesting to help us understand, Pastor Todd, when we teach Methodist history, uses a graph that talks about how we Methodists understand salvation. 
And I think it also explains the American creed and dream as well. So here's how we Methodists understand salvation. When you, you see the red dot that says the point of justification, that's the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are saved. You are born again. You have a new way of living in relationship with God. You are justified in the eyes of God. But for us, we don't stop there. Once you're born again, once you enter this new life, we are called to grow in the faith, to become more and more like Jesus. But it's not just a steady growth all the way to heaven. We know that's not true. The chart shows us sometimes we plateau. Sometimes we just kind of get stuck in a place. Sometimes we slide back. And in the moment, it may look like we're not doing very well. But when you back up, the movement is always slowly upward, trying to take serious Matthew 5, 48, where Jesus said, you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Over time, we grow upward in the faith. That's the same way of the American dream and the American creed. Let's look back to the beginning place, July 4th, 1776. And once we shared these inalienable rights, it wasn't always this straight advance toward living them out for all people. We know that's not the case. There were moments, sometimes decades of plateau. There were moments that we slid backwards. But over time, as you look, the trend is always upwards. And I submit to you, that's our business, to keep the, the trend of the American dream, the American creed moving forward. We're going to sing the great hymn in just a little bit. God's truth is marching on. We need to march on with the direction that God wants to take us. But again, we wonder, how do we do that? And I think we get a wonderful picture in our scripture lesson for today. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn now. We're going to look at Psalm 33, and we're going to read verses 12 through 22. Psalm 33, verses 12 through 22. Hear the word of God. Happy, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all humankind. From where he sits enthroned, he watches all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. A king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a vain hope for victory, and by its great might it cannot save. Truly the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. And I love verse 12, happy is the nation, happy, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. What does the scripture say? We don't trust in ourselves or our might or our power. We trust in the Lord. We know that he looks down. He is watching. He is guiding us. Our hope, I love 16 and 17, is not in our military might, our great armies. It's not in our great strength. It's not in our war horse, vain hope for victory. It's not in our might. We can't save ourselves. Our hope is on, in the Lord who is guiding us. So our business is to keep our eyes on the Lord and trust in the Lord. 
and sometimes not take ourselves so seriously, to be able to laugh at ourselves and have a different perspective and know that God is guiding this. I was thinking back, one of my favorite presidents in my lifetime, I'm just a huge fan of Ronald Reagan. He was a great public speaker. Uh, He always moved me when he spoke. He told stories in a wonderful way. He was really funny. He could tell a joke in a great way. And President Reagan loved to poke fun at people who kind of took themselves too seriously. And he poked fun at himself. And I remember one of the classic stories he told dozens of times through the year. He told a story about a Navy aircraft carrier that was out at sea with its entourage. And on the radar, they saw a mass in front of them. And they sent a message, we're on a very serious mission. We're in a hurry. We can't divert our path. You need to change course and get out of our way. And as soon as they sent the message, they got this response back. Negative, sir. We cannot accommodate your request. Well, the admiral who had had the message sent was quite taken aback. And he exclaimed, send him another message. This is not a request, son. This is a United States Navy aircraft carrier flanked by two naval warships and a submarine. I repeat, edit your bearings and move out of our way. Almost instantly, they got this response back. Negative, sir. We are a lighthouse. (laughs) So it's your call. (laughs) I love that. Because what does it teach us? There's some things we just can't control. And we need to understand that. And the way we get it is living Psalm 33. And you know who teaches us how to do that? It's Jesus. Jesus lives this Psalm. He models for us how to live. Remember, Jesus was God's son. And yet when he came to earth, what did the scriptures say? He emptied himself of his divine nature and he lived as an ordinary human being in the most difficult and challenging of times and ways. Trusting God, relying on God, showing us how to live. I love the fact that Jesus models for us Psalm 33, and there's a wonderful little essay that I I love to read that Cherish that shows us how Jesus did that. And I get it, I used to, really I've gotten it all my life as a Christmas card, and I've been surprised how few people, did anybody get the Christmas card with one solitary life on it? Harvey, I know you have through the years. Uh, It's an essay by James Francis that was one person has gotten that, Debbie's gotten Maybe the choir. Okay, there's more hands. Gotcha. Maybe it's a Louisiana thing. Maybe that's what we get. But anyway, Mr. Francis wrote this little essay about a century ago, and his words in 1926 still speak to us and show us how to live. Listen to how Mr. Francis put it. He was born in an obscure village, a child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. Never had a family, never owned a home, never set foot inside a big city, never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born, never wrote a book, never held an office. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. While he was still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends deserted him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. 
He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had, his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave. 20 centuries have come and gone, and today he is still the central figure for much of the human race. All the armies that ever marched and all the navies that ever sailed and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as this one solitary life. You see, that's why it's our business to follow Jesus, to live like Jesus, because that's how we experience the truth of, of Psalm 33, 12. Happy, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Happy is the nation. Blessed are the people. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Blessed are the people who get that this, blessed are the people who get that life, it's not about us. Blessed are the people who get that we are not in control, who can finally stop pretending that that we have it all together, who can finally stop pretending that all the other gods of our own making can save us. intelligence, our riches, our charm, our strength. Uh, a war horse is a, is a vain hope for victory, the psalmist just said. In fact, I, fact I, fed, I bet that some of us in here this morning, I bet that some of us have even forgotten what victory looks like. I mean, real victory. Victory, not just, not just winning. And we've forgotten what victory looks like because we have forgotten who and and we've forgotten what the real enemy is. Because our enemy isn't the person who looks different than us. And our enemy isn't the person who thinks different than us. It's, It's not the person who sits across an aisle or the person who lives across the street. As as followers of the way of Jesus Christ, our enemy, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle, our fight, our enemy, it's powers and principalities. It's against evil and darkness. It is a spiritual struggle against things like like pride and greed and, and hatred and apathy and fear. Things that, things that live in here just as easily as they do out there. And in this, this age, in this age of, of, of growing agnosticism, and not just about God, but in this age where it just seems there's this general sense, this, this nagging sense, this lukewarm sense that our givahoot is broken, at least whenever it comes to things that really matter, what seems to be needed is, what seems to be needed is another American revolution. Amen. But this time, this time not against a king, This time it's a revolution for a king, a revolution for the king. We need a revolution, a turning, a a reordering, a repentance. We we need a change. 
In fact, over in my office, in my office across the parking lot, I've got a bunch of pictures in my office. I've got pictures of Carrie, I've got pictures of, of my boys, of, of some college buddies. I've got a couple of pictures of, of kids that grew up in this church. But amidst them all, I've, I've got this one picture amongst them. I've got this picture of this guy that I've never even met. Um, I've got this picture, this portrait of a dead Polish astronomer. Uh, framed, sitting amongst all the others, I've got this portrait of Nicholas Copernicus over in my office. Copernicus, you remember, he's the guy that, that first got traction for the idea that the earth isn't the center of the universe. And it was a thought, it was a radical thought back in his day that got him into a whole lot of hot water with the church. But, but Nikki sits over in my office um, to remind me every single day, he reminds me that, that I need, that we all need a kind of Copernican revolution in our lives. We need a, a revolution in, in our hearts and in our homes, and in our businesses, in our world. We need to remember that we are not its center. Because that's the only way, that's the only way that we will, that we'll ever live out of our calling. It's the only way that we'll ever live into our calling to be the church. And the psalmist tells us how. It's right there in verse 18. The psalmist says, truly the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Fearing the Lord. That's got to be our starting place. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we're told in the, in the book of Proverbs. But it's not just in Proverbs. That thought is found all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament alike. We've got to begin with fearing the Lord. But but even in the same breath as saying that, that does not mean that God wants us shaking in our shoes anytime we're in his presence. That's not the sort of fear that God's talking about here. It's not the fear that, that God wants, even though I know for a lot of us, that was the, the type of God that we were brought up with. This kind of fiery-eyed God that was just waiting for us to step out of, waiting for us to step out of line so that he could zap us. That's, that's not the sort of God that we serve. Remember back in this day, fear operated on three different levels. The, the basis level was, was kind of that, was that fiery-eyed God. The, the basis level, and maybe for some of us it has to start here, is the fear of punishment. We obey God simply because we're afraid of the lightning bolts. We obey God to, to avoid pain. And like I said, maybe, maybe some of us have to start there, but that's not, we're not meant to end there. Because a little bit higher up, and I don't even know if it's a healthier understanding of God or the fear of God. It's just, it's different. Instead of, uh, of a fear of punishment, this is more like a fear of missing out. We obey God because we know that if we don't, God won't bless us. And like I said, I don't know that that's a healthier understanding of the fear of God, because let's be honest, it's still really self-serving. It's the highest level. This, this highest understanding of the fear of God. It's what God is intending. It's what God means in passages like that. What the fear of God really means is a sense of awe. It's a sense of reverence. It's us finally understanding in as much as we ever can. It's us finally becoming aware. It's us finally acknowledging exactly who God is and, and what it is that God has done, especially in the person of Jesus Christ. And then that sort of awareness, that sort of fear, it naturally lends itself, it gives itself over to, to an obedience that's out of love. It's an obedience out of respect. It's, it's an obedience out of appreciation, out of gratitude for all that God has done. And what if? 
What if our faith? What if our patriotism? What, what if our citizenship? What if our citizenship in, in this great land of ours and in this, this kingdom that we're called to build, what if our citizenship was based on that? What was based on, on this profound sense of gratitude, this profound and growing sense, this awareness of everything that we've been given? Remembering at the exact same time what Jesus said about that too. That to, the, to those to whom much is given, much will be required. So friends, Americans, what's, what's required of us brothers and sisters? What's required? I love, in fact, that's the way that the prophet Micah opens that verse that I use as my benediction passage. What's required of thee, O mortal, but to work justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. What's required of us? It's required that we find our mission. It's not about us, remember? And the freedoms that we have, the, the freedom we have, it's not given to us just for us to, to use in any old way that, that we like. It's, it's actually the freedom for us to, to do what's expected. It's, it's the freedom for us to do as we're told. That's what the apostle would, Paul would say. It's what Paul says in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter five, Paul will write this. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. Other places will say for, to, as an opportunity to indulge the flesh. But through love become slaves to one another. He'd go on to say, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. See, it's the freedom to love. It's the freedom to serve. It's, it's the freedom to forgive. It's the freedom to forgive in a way which by ourselves would be absolutely impossible. It's the freedom to be the people that God created, created us to be and to do what God created us to do. It's like they've always said that, that the two most important days of our lives are the day we're born and the day we figure out why. The day we discover our purpose, the day we discover our mission. And it's gonna be different for each and every one of us. And it's gonna change over the course of our lives. And so the trick is, is always being aware, constantly being aware, asking the Lord for discernment. Constantly asking the, the Lord to guide us and to lead us and to use us no matter what, no, no matter the cost. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Um, when, I was, when I was growing up, um, every 4th of July, we'd go to, to one of the springs that's there located uh, around Newberry, Florida. It's my hometown in North Central Florida. It's where I grew up. And uh, every 4th, we'd go to one of these springs. My favorite was a place called Jenny Springs. Uh, um, and we'd get there, we'd get there really early every 4th. And we'd, we'd put a watermelon into the cold spring water so they could be cooling off through the heat of the day. And my brother and I, we'd, we'd swim and and we'd shiver, and my dad would, would cook hamburgers on one of those old wobbly three-legged grills that you could get at Walmart. Um, and there'd be bands, and there'd be cloggers. And, and every year they had a, a, a belly flop contest. Um, I remember this, this one year, there's, there's a guy in town named Wally Gator. I don't know if that was his real name, but 
knowing Mr. Gator, I think it was. Uh, uh, Wally Gator was something of a, of a local legend uh, in our community. He came in weighing somewhere around about 500 pounds. So he was the hands down favorite to win the belly flop contest. Um, but Mr. Gator, um, whenever it was his turn, he went up to the, to the highest part of the high dive and there was a springboard up there. And Mr. Gator, Wally, he wanted to get a little more height on, on his jump. And so he bounced like two or three times. And I remember like it was yesterday on his third bounce, he broke the springboard in two. And yet somehow as he was plummeting to earth, he still managed to sprawl himself out and complete the most exquisite high dive or exquisite belly flop I have ever seen in my entire life. And he, Mr. Wally, he obviously ended up winning the contest. Um, but every fourth as as night would fall, um, fireworks would boom and they'd bang and they'd fill the sky. And, and I'll be honest, um, as, as life has gotten more complicated, as the world has gotten more conflicted, I'll be honest, there's, there's a part of me, there's a part of me that just wants to go back. There's a part of me that wants to go back to to the ease and the simplicity, that the innocent simplicity of those days when watermelon dripped off my chin and where my purpose seemed, where it seemed really obviously clear. But the way of America has never been backwards. The way of America has always been forwards. And the way of the kingdom is never to retreat. It's, it's always to advance. It's, it's us, it's, it's, it's us rising. It's us rising to the challenge of every moment. It's us finding our mission and, and giving ourselves over to it, mind and body and soul. It's us really believing what Jesus said is actually true. That it's only those of us who will lose ourselves, who will dare to lose ourselves in him and for him and for this mission that he calls us on. It's only those of us who will dare to lose ourselves who will ever find ourselves. It's a it's hundred of our middle schoolers going to Little Rock, Arkansas and serving the needy there in Jesus' name. It's our, our middle schoolers who made such an impact in that community that, that the organization that we worked with begged to have them back. I mean, how often is that ever said of a hundred middle schoolers? Um, <laughs> they begged us to, to go, they want us to come back for the next three years, they wanted us to, to sign a commitment. It's our Feed Our Kids program that right now is serving the, the hungry kids in, in our own backyard and we're serving them in Jesus' name. It's one of, a, it's one of our own beloved members who heart, whose heart for our troops led her to start our, our soldier care ministry. And she sends out care packages and snacks and goodies and cards and, and encouragement and love and, and prayers all across the world. And as, as God would have it, a couple of weeks ago, she got a thank you note from one of those soldiers and the wildest thing, the craziest thing, completely unplanned, again, as only God could make it. Um, that soldier, that soldier that wrote just to tell her thanks, thanks for the kindness, thanks for the encouragement, thanks for the thoughtfulness. That soldier, that soldier grew up right here in this area. He grew up right here in this community. That soldier grew up right here in this church. That's what victory looks like. It looks like us finding and fulfilling our mission, our God-given purpose, our way, our solely unique way of changing the world, our solely unique way of healing the world. That's a victory. 
Now there are problems in our world, yeah. It'd be dishonest of us to say anything otherwise. Are there tensions? Are there divisions? Is there this sense of uncertainty? Yeah, absolutely. But God did not create the world like that. We did. We did that in and of ourselves. So it's not so much that God has failed, so much as it is that God's people have failed. We failed, but we don't have to keep on failing. In Jesus' name, we can change. In Jesus' name, we can learn and we can grow. We can mount up with wings like eagles. We can run and not grow tired. We can walk and not faint. We can fear our God and we can find our mission. And in so doing, we can fuel our future with liberty and justice for all, all in and for Jesus' name. As we pray. Our God, this day once more, we, we thank you for the great freedom that we know, that we know came at a price. And the price of patriots and heroes, the ultimate freedom that came at the the price of your son, our savior. Lord, we ask forgive us because we know that we've taken those freedoms for granted. We know that we have misused them. We know that we have abused them. Lord, forgive us. And by the power of Jesus' name, Lord, set us free. Set us free to be your people. God, by the power of Jesus' name, heal us. By the power of Jesus' name, Lord, we pray a spirit of hope, a spirit of goodness, a spirit of, of repentance. God, start that revolution in us. Have your way in us, Lord. It's for freedom that you've set us free, God. Make us free indeed, Lord. Free up our minds, free up our eyes that we might see. Free up our ears, God, that we might hear, Lord, loosen and free up our tongues that we might speak, that we might speak your truth. For Lord, your truth still marches on. So be with us, God. Take us, claim us, change us, use us. Use us all and only for the glory of your name, for it's only in that name, it's in Jesus' name, God, that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.